Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and with me again today is my co-host from St. Louis, our Director of Innovation here at IMEG, Mike Lawless. Mike, how's it going? It's going, it's going well, Joe. I'm sure you're glad to have some non-engineers with us here today. I am. I am. I'm, I'm feeling really good about this. Yes, today uh, we are going to be talking again about the quadruple aim, which is a, uh, a guideline that healthcare organizations use uh, to meet four main goals. And those goals are improving the patient experience, reducing the cost of care, population health, and the focus of today's episode, improving the provider experience. With us, we have two guests to help us investigate the topic. Dr. Ann Doran is a pediatric hospitalist at Advocate Children's Hospital, Chicago. Welcome to the show, Ann. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Nice to have you. And also today, we have Dr. Megan Morgan, who is a registered nurse and pediatric nurse educator at Phoenix Children's Hospital. Megan, how are you doing? Good morning. I'm well. Thank you. Ann, let's start with you. Has the caregiver experience changed during your career? I do feel like the caregiver experience has evolved over time as we've become more patient and family-centered and really try to deliver care in a way where we partner with not only the entire healthcare team, but have the family be part of that. So it's much less, I guess, patriarchal in a way and a lot more collaborative with families um, and the entire caregiver team, including our nurses, therapists, social workers, um, case managers. And so in that way, I think um, the evolution has been really great for families and a lot more collaborative for the team. Megan, what would you say to that? Yeah, I can echo what Anne has said. Um, I think we've created an environment where we've really empowered families to be a true member of um, the caregiver team and patients when they're old enough. Obviously, we work in pediatrics, but when they're old enough to participate in um, building um, what their care plan looks like. So being able to educate them and um, empower them to speak up has been a significant change over my career. Yeah, the, the patient-centered care and that, that collaborative environment, I think, has been really positive. But what about on the care from a caregiver perspective? Is that collaborative environment just make it more fun to do your jobs as well? It does. I think um, it makes it it has, carries its own challenges um, because I think we're on the spot a lot um, in front of the entire team. Um, and we want to make sure that we're communicating in a way that is understood by various levels of learners and various levels of health literacy. Um, but that challenge, I think, is um, is a good one. And I think it pushes us out of a comfort zone and keeps us more aware of the way that we communicate and deliver information. I know you both have practiced in a number of, of different hospital sit situations and facilities. What kind of things can be done with the environment, the space, the technology? You know, what are a couple of things that, that stand out to you that help foster that collaboration and that inclusion of the, the family and that experience? For me, I think it's just about 
having the room space in patient rooms to, especially coming from a teaching hospital where we have med students and residents and fellows and attendings, when they're rounding in order to create a space that the families can be involved in, the patient rooms have to be big enough to accommodate that so that they don't feel so um, bombarded necessarily by all of the providers that are coming into the room um, and they feel comfortable to still provide input um, if that kind of makes sense. So um, for me, it's just providing a, a big enough space for those conversations to take place. You know, I think the other, and I, when you, you talked about this, Megan, is, you know, obviously the, you guys are both in pediatrics and, you know, at a certain age, the, or the kids are, are able to, to participate. How, I mean, sometimes it can be pretty young kids that can get pretty engaged in, in their own care. What comes to mind as far as things that, that have really worked well with with that? Yeah, I think um, for us, it's really talking with the patient. And we understand like the family is going to have, um, that's who you're going to gravitate to, right? Because they're the decision makers likely in this situation. Um, But really giving the autonomy back to the patient and including them um, in those conversations is so important and getting on their level, you know, pulling up a chair over to the bedside and talking with them there. Um, I think that's one, and we've seen it like start to change over time um, that, uh, you just kind of include the patient more and more each interaction. And Anne, I'm sure you can elaborate on that. I mean, I agree with Megan. You know, I think from a technology aspect, when you think about a space, um, I think it's, you know, you want to have the room and have the ability to be able to sit down, you know, next to the patient's bedside. And just like Megan said, you know, involve them in a way that brings the team to them and makes it less intimidating to have all these people standing over them. So how do you use the space in a way where you can engage them? And, you know, kids are so fluent and, and um, smart with technology these days. You know, how do we use that to engage them and also make the team less intimidating and more approachable to them? And I think, you know, our child life colleagues do that really well. There's tons of apps on iPads that they use and things that they do, you know, and so, in one aspect, I think we quiet technology like TV and other th- monitors and things when we're in the room, but then there's other things that we can use to engage the kids. And so we really sort of lean on all our all of our um, different members of the team like Child Life to help us figure that out too. Joe, did you have something? Well, I was just going to say the patient experience and the caregiver experience are so intertwined and uh, being able to, as a caregiver, be included in the planning process for a facility, I imagine is really empowering and important. Is, is that what you found? Absolutely. I um, It's really exciting, extremely empowering. And, you know, I think both of our, our heads are just swimming with ideas of how to optimize the experience in so many different ways. I think we've learned a lot through the pandemic as well in terms of you know, where our gaps are in the way we deliver care when we have less less people in the room or less capabilities to bring others in to make the experience less scary for a child or less isolating. And so I think that's something else that's kind of in the forefront of our minds when we think about designing a space and delivering care sort of in this era that has been evolving over the last several years. And I think the other thing that we've seen, I, I know you guys have been involved in design of facilities as well, is the, the respite piece. You know, how do we, 
you know, how do we provide a break? I had a child go through um, pediatric cancer treatment twice. And I mean, I, the nurses were fantastic, you know, and I, I just wondered how they could, they could do that day in and day out. So one of the things I think about is how do you, how do we give nurses, doctors care? How do we give them great spaces that they can, you know, get rejuvenated and, and those sorts of things. And I guess what have you, what's your experience been with, with that sort of um, part of the design process? Yeah. So um, up where I um, work, we have different like tranquility rooms for staff to utilize on the floor. A lot of it we think about, um, I think we mentioned a little bit ago, how the caregiver experience and the patient experience are kind of intertwined. And a lot of things like um, having a chapel or having a rooftop garden or um, areas for families to seek respite aren't always ideal locations for um caregivers to seek respite. They're either off the unit or they're just not ideally located throughout the organizations. Um, So really having a space that is dedicated to each individual floor or unit, so to speak, for for, um, employees to go and just seek that five minutes. Maybe that's five minutes all that they have in their day um, besides a lunch break. Um, Having it local on the unit, I think, is so important. Um, and, and I don't know if you have more to add on that. I mean, I agree. I think, you know, I've, I've worked at several different children's hospitals across the country at varying stages of their development in terms of new towers or older buildings. And I think that this is a big opportunity for improvement in a lot of organizations is to be mindful in terms of how they take care of their staff and offer them these locations. And I think, so many cities, space is such a commodity and it's so limited. And so, you know, this isn't something that has been prioritized. And I think it is extremely important because like Megan said, if you take a break on the rooftop garden and all of your patients' families are there, then they're going to come up to you and ask you more questions, which we're always happy to answer, but it's not really a break. And so how do we think about designing a new space in a way that really is going to care for the caregivers as well? Yeah. And with the quadruple aim, I think you know, one of the things we talk about is how, you know, one thing, something that you do that helps one aspect of it likely may help another, you know, part of the quadruple aim as well. And as, as we were preparing for this podcast, I I couldn't help but think the caregivers, you all are the really, you impact, you know, the patient experience and that, and how, how that goes. I mean, obviously the cost of care is, is impacted by the care that they get. And then, you know, once they leave, the population health is impacted by, you know, the instructions they're given. So I think all those things make me think, you know, there's not only when we think about daylighting that can be great for patients and, and caregivers, but I think just anything we can do um, to help that caregiver experience is really going to spread out and help help the in, in, entire entire group. Absolutely. I think, you know, you see in caregivers that aren't burnt out, you see better productivity, better patient satisfaction, you know, and like you're right, it, the ripple effect is huge. And I think the converse would be caregivers are sort of are burnt out and the consequences are really compassion fatigue. Um, it's really hard to access that empathy when you haven't taken care of yourself. And so I think, um, you're absolutely right. I think the ripple effect, positive or negative, is huge, and it starts at the core of the care, um, which is really the people that are delivering it. Obviously, 
you know, the pandemic has really <laughs> changed the face of healthcare and and the staff burnout and that type of thing. Do you feel that has been a big motivator for healthcare institutions to really wake up and say, "Hey, we've got to we've got to do something." Megan, what do you think of that? Yeah, I absolutely do. I know um, a lot of organizations are implementing like um, employee assistance program, mental health um, programs for their employees. And to be quite honest, it's a conversation that I have with my employees very regularly, like when they come to me with concerns is, how are you taking care of yourself? Because if we don't take care of ourselves, we cannot even begin to take care of others. And that's the nature of our job is to take care of others. And so I do a lot of checking in with my employees on how they're doing and what, um, they're doing to help themselves outside of the workplace environment. And that could be, we have support groups, we have employee assistance, we have, um, you know, different apps that people can use um, to kind of get those mental health check-ins. So I really do think that um, it's something that has come out of the pandemic is really um, organizations are taking a better look at what they're doing for their employees. And I think the more that they hone in on those things, the more successful they're going to have um, with their employees. This has been a great discussion. I think as we, as engineers, as anybody listening to this, we're, I think all really interested in making sure the caregivers that take care of patients in our facilities that we design or remodel, you know, new or, or old, you know, that, ha- you know, that we provide great spaces for you. I guess kind of a, maybe a final question would be as we're engaging in, des- in these design processes, what advice, you know, what advice would you have for the design teams? You know, if there's kind of a, a thought or an idea of something to include, or just even a way to think about it, that's going to help it be a, a better design. You know, what, what kind of, what kind of thoughts do you have there? You know, I would say thinking about the space through several sets of lenses. So you think about the space through the lens of a child, like they're in bed, what do they see? How do they, how do they, how does the space impact them? How does the use of space impact them? Then you look at the use of the space through a nurse who's in there all day long, delivering care, taking care of the parents, taking care of the child, taking care of the family, Um, like medically and so much emotional labor. How does it impact the team of doctors, medical students, you know? And so it's just how does that, the design of the space impact all of these different humans and you just thinking through it with all of these different sets of lenses to be able to create a space with everything in mind. And I think it's a challenge, but it's exciting. Um, and then I think one of the pieces that we've talked about is, you know, how do you also use the space so that patients who are blind or deaf who are isolated for long periods of time because they are in for chemotherapy can still get good care. There's just so much to think about, but I think that's why you have, you know, um, content experts like us come in and, and give our ideas. And then for better, or for worse, you know, you have personal experience that can color the way you think about designing a space. And, you know, I think all of that together, I think you just have to not only think about it from an engineering perspective of, it would be great if I had outlets here, here, and here, but who's using them? How, how is it going to be used? Um, and how, how does all of those decisions affect everybody that's going to be in that room? And so how, do you, how are you able to use all of those perspectives to create the space? Yeah, I think, I think that's great. I think as engineers, sometimes we get a, bit, a little bit too locked in on here's the outlet and how do we, how do we get power to it? And we, we've got to expand that. 
I don't want to oversimplify it. I mean, I'm not an engineer. I don't have an, I mean, I, my, I just built a house. So, I mean, I, there's so much that goes into it that I do not understand. And I'm very humbled by that level of expertise as well. But, um, but you know. But in the end, it's what, it's the, how we can help the caregivers and the patients that are in the space. That's the whole reason we've, we've the infrastructure and things are there. I guess, Megan, what, what, do you have any thoughts or around that same kind of question? Yeah, I think I would echo um, what Ann said is just engage the people that are going to be working in that environment. I think so much of the time we come to work every day and we forget about all of the behind the scenes things that happen and the things that it takes to make an organization function as a whole. Um, But the more you engage staff, I think in the whole process, um, the more successful projects will be. Um, And then, you know, something kind of that I always keep in the back of my mind is how growth is going to impact a project. So we might start with, you know, an organization that only needs 400 beds, but in the big grand scheme of things, what types of spaces could we potentially need in the future? And so being able to be creative in the design process, um, you know, rooms that function in multiple purposes um, would kind of be another suggestion that I would have. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the collaboration that you talk about of the different perspectives of the people who are going to use it and then us as engineers and architects and the design team, I, always, I think the best ideas come from those diverse perspectives and having, you know, folks like you engaged, you know, early in a project is just, is just really important for it to be successful. I, I think this has been a great discussion. Hopefully we've given everybody some ideas on how to help make their project a little bit, a little bit better and a little bit, um, you know, more friendly to the caregivers. I agree, Mike. It's been a really great discussion. And Anne and Megan, I thank you both for being with us today. And for listeners who are new to our podcast, you can follow The Future Built Smarter on any app you might use. You can also visit our website, imatcorp.com slash insights. And there you can find these and other podcasts we've done in the past. We'll be back with another episode in the near future. And until then, thank you for listening and take care.